Um, we're going to dismiss the kids here in just a moment. I know um, it's, uh, it's pretty full in here, and you're looking for some seats. And I'll just remind those of you who uh, have a hard time finding seats, we do have an 830 service. There is room there. Uh, we do have coffee here, so want to encourage you. Um, that is one of those kind of things we are strategically uh, praying through, and we have had over the summer um, our morning service, our 830 service, really full as well. So just want to encourage you during the fall uh, there is an 8.30 service and child uh, services and all that there too. Um, hey, if I haven't met you, uh, real quickly, let me just introduce myself to you. My name is Jesse. I am part of the pastoral team here at Sierra Bible Church. I've been here for, it'll be 15 years in November, and uh, it's been a pleasure to serve our church. And uh, yeah, 15 years, yeah. I didn't do it for the applause, that's for sure. Um, but uh um, uh, I wanna. I was gonna do things a little different. I'm gonna go ahead and kick this off right out the gate. I have a um, child dedication uh, this morning. We're gonna dedicate a baby to the Lord, and um, I'm gonna go to this slide here. Joe and Abby Casey, would you guys come up with whoever else that you want to come with you? Any? I don't know if you want any family members with you, but Joe and Abby, yeah, give them a, give them a round of applause. You did it. Where's Wayne? I don't know. Anybody know where Wayne is? <laughs> um, Wayne Hoy? I don't know. I, I don't know what he's doing. Um, okay, so this is one of those things for me. I want to, okay, they're still coming. All right. <laughs> um, this is one of those things that's really neat for me uh, because um, some of you know Joe, Joe got saved at our church. He became a Christian at our church. And uh, he, he was disciple here. He interned here. He found Abby here. They got married. And after marriage comes a baby carriage. And so this is little Addie or a Ada. Ada Lee. And I'm going to grab here in a minute. So Ada, it's <laughs> she's got the biggest thighs you've ever seen. <laughs> she is so gorgeous. Uh, she's actually been a ton of fun for me because um, Abby's a school teacher in Reno and part of the way that they've got things worked out, because there are children's directors, Joe has an office uh, next door that he uses, and Ada has been at the office a few days during the week, and she joins us for staff meetings, and, and she just hangs out, and then every now and then, I'm going to tell you a funny story, every now and then, uh, Joe can't focus because Ada will be crying, and, and one day he wheeled her over here to give her to uh, Pam, our secretary, that Pam would watch her, and Pam wasn't there, and Wayne, <laughs> Wayne, Wayne, who, who, when he takes his hearing aids out, can't hear, uh, Joe snuck her into uh, his office with his back turned and wheeled her in and set her there and walked away to go study. And Wayne turned around and went, whoa, there's a baby in my office. So um, she's been so fun to have around. And, uh, and it is a blessing to be a part of your guys' lives and for you to be part of the staff. And of course, this is their extended family. Their sisters and a brother up here, Joe's brother, and Abby's uh, mom and dad. And so they've got a, just a blessed family. You had how many girls, Dave? Five. Just five. <laughs> five girls. So um, they're all married, and the checkbook is closed, he says. So, <laughs> yeah. Like, <laughs> clap harder, clap harder for that. Yeah. Well, hey, let me, let me grab Ada. Let me explain to you. Oh, yes. Yes. Oh. Look at that meat on her, man. Okay. Um, here's how we do this. I want to explain. So we have some biblical context and recognizing that Jesus was dedicated by his parents to the Lord. And there isn't anything magical here that, that happens. We're asking the Lord to um, bless Ada and to bring her to salvation and to work through Joe and Abby and his entire family. And we look at this a lot like a covenant. We have a two-way covenant here we want to ask of you. Uh, first, the covenant that Joe and Abby are stating before you as their family, as they're saying, listen, you're our family, and uh, we, we want to be held accountable uh, to raising our child according to the word of God in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then likewise, uh, they want you to help them with that. So if this is your church, you love Joe and Abby, we want you to enter into that covenant uh, that you would help them raise Ada according to the gospel of Jesus and according to the biblical knowledge we have before us. And so we do this like this. Joe, 
Uh, Abby, would you enter into the covenant with your church and before God to enter into that covenant to raise Ada according to the gospel of Jesus Christ and the word of God? We do. Is there anything else you wanted to say, Joe? Man of many words. Um, Church, those of you who are part of our family, you love uh, Joe and Abby. Would you enter into this covenant to help Joe and Abby raise little baby Ada according to the gospel of Jesus Christ and the word of God? And you would say, yes, all right, let's pray. No problem. That's not my child. Lord, um, we rejoice in you. Ada is an example, a remembrance to you of renewal, newness, grace, life, abundance, promise. I pray that she would teach us much of you and that you would help us, uh, Lord, to make much of you in her life. Guide her, guard her, protect her, lead Joe and Abby to raise her according to your word. And Lord, help us as a church to do the same. We present her to you and we put her in your hands knowing now we are stewards of this life. And we trust you for it in the name of Jesus Christ, the church said. Amen. Amen. Give him a hand. Thanks, Thank you, man. Love you. Okay. So there are children's directors. That's why the kids are still in here, because they would not be washed if they weren't. So take a few minutes, fellowship with one another. And uh, kids, would you head next door, head towards children's church, go to your classes just over to the right upstairs and uh, I'll regather us here in a moment. The fan? Is the fan on, Dan? That is a lot of kids headed out of there. There's definitely a little more room. Okay. Um, I want to change gears here just, just for a moment. Um, and uh, a couple things we, I want to touch upon them briefly so we can get into the word as quickly as possible. One is uh, you, you really need at this time uh, in, in the season of our church to really be paying attention to what's in the bulletin, to be visiting our website at sbctruckee.com. It is fall, so all of our community groups are launching back up. Uh, Several women's Bible studies are starting, Romans and Genesis. One is in the morning, one is at night. The fall women's retreat is coming up, and so just please be mindful uh, of those things. Mark the date. Go to the info booth. If you're new, that's your first step. Go to the info booth. Get a free gift from us. Connect with us. Find out more about us, and let us know a little bit about yourself. Awana is also kicking up. This is our children's program. In addition to the youth ministry we have, uh, this is a program that is dedicated to training up leaders and helping young kids memorize scripture as well as playing games. Uh, They've got all kinds of needs for leaders. So if you love kids of all ages, uh, as far down as, uh, what is it, Puggles? What what grade is Puggles? Two. Two. So as little as two all the way up to 18. And they're segmented in classes. They need volunteers. So if you have a heart for kids and the word of God. This is a great place for you uh, to dive in and serve. And then, of course, for those of you who are parents, I know some of you are still journeying next door and making your way over here. Um, The registration is live. Go to our website under the ministries tab, find Awana, and you can register your kids uh, before September 10th, and then you can show up on the 10th and dive in. Um, We already did that. And then um, we have training tomorrow here. And so uh, we have uh, Nick Sinsley, he's the chief, was the chief of police. There he is right here. Hey, Nick. Um, yay, police officers. Uh, <clears throat> he was the chief of, <laughs> okay, sorry, man. Your, your identity's in Christ, not as a police officer. Remember that. Um, so anyways, he was part of our church for several years, just been, has been a tremendous servant of the community, uh, as well as a servant for God's kingdom. He has partnered with Jessica, who is part, was part of our church. She grew up here, 
part of the Johansson family, and uh, she now is involved in freeing those who have been trafficked through human trafficking and bringing awareness to that situation, as well as building on a project uh, for a home in Hawaii uh, called Pearl Haven, where young girls can be freed from the industry, poured into, and loved, and healed. And so she's been doing that along with Nick, and they're providing training tomorrow to bring awareness. I said to the first service, uh, this is a sin that thrives in the darkness. We want to bring it into the light that Jesus would shine on it, free those who are uh, in that industry to be aware of those who maybe are at risk to be in that industry, to find places to heal those individuals. And so that's what the training is tomorrow. The training is for anyone who's involved on any level of leadership, in my opinion, uh, whether that's school teacher, uh, children's ministry teacher, Awana teacher, in, in the hospitals, you name it, wherever you have access to young people uh, to be able to identify and prevent and help those who've been human trafficked, that's what we're doing tomorrow at 5.30 p.m. I want to invite you to register for that. And what we've done is I've asked uh, Jessica to share a little bit about what she's been up to, uh, along with a really good friend of hers. She's going to share her story with you briefly. And so would you please uh, welcome uh, Jessica and Tiffany, please. T- Tammy. I'm sorry. We do have Tiffany on staff, so. Tiffany, Tammy, oh. Sorry about that. Can you hear me? Oh, good. Good morning. I'm Jessica. It's great to be back home. This will always be my forever home. Um, About 13 years ago, I moved to Hawaii. About 10 years ago, my life was completely flipped upside down. Um, I'm a nurse practitioner by training, and I started seeing kids come into the emergency room that we weren't screening, identifying, or recognizing as victims of sex trafficking or sexual exploitation. And through that, I realized, wow, one, trafficking happens to American children, which a lot of people wouldn't think is, is reality. Um, but also, these kids don't just come from Hawaii. These are kids from all across the country that end up in multiple places. And the sad thing was is that there really was no one to call at the time. And so um, I was inspired to start an organization that focuses not just on direct intervention of kids who've been trafficked, but also building a prevention program and um, really trying to bring this systemic change around the issue of trafficking of children in America. Um, I've had a pretty incredible journey. Uh, I had no plans on doing any of this, but then you realize something has to be done. And um, when I first started doing this work, I remember that the Lord uh, really seated in me um, a calling, and that calling was to shine light in the darkness and watch new life come forward, to run into the darkness and bring the lost children home to a place of renewal and freedom. And the sad thing that exists around this issue is the fact that there really is no comprehensive treatment programs for these kids. And so uh, in 2014, we had an amazing miracle. We were blessed uh, with a 12-acre piece of property with an existing 20,000-square-foot facility, of which this property is valued at about $15 million. Um, And so we have a long-term lease for about $480 a year for the minimum of 30 years, which in the state of Hawaii is pretty much a miracle. So we took over this building. It looks like this. It did look like that. Um, And so we work with five layers of government, so you can imagine how slow things can be. Um, This is the property when we first took it over. Uh, It's an amazing location. That's what it's looking like now. We've done a tremendous amount of work, and the inside has been completely demoed out. And so we're really excited because this facility won't just be for kids in Hawaii, but for kids across this country. So right now, there's only 600 residential treatment beds for kids who've been exploited. And there's around 100,000 kids that are newly trafficked every year. So we have a lot of work to do. And I think what's important for us to understand, and Jesse touched on it, but exploitation thrives in secrecy and shame. And until we're willing to have the conversation and be real about it and understand that this does not just happen to kids who are from low income or inner city, but it happens in rural communities and it happens to a variety of kids. Um, uh, I wanted to share this with you. Um, You know, we think that you have to have a justice 
like legal degree or you have to be a police officer or something. But the reality is, is that it takes all of us rising up because without that, um, if we're not strategic in our pursuit of justice for kids and we remain silent, it is going to uh, overtake us. And this is a huge crisis in this country. And if we remain silent, the voices of these children will be remaining silent. And so if I can challenge you with one thing today, you can't say you didn't know. And so you have to go out and tell somebody else. And you got to get in and be a part of this because the world is looking for a solution to this problem. And the problem has to be dealt with first and foremost by those who are in the church. And so this is my amazing friend, Tammy. And um, she's just going to share with you briefly about her story. So aloha, I come from Hawaii, so that's how we greet. Um, that's, look at that, that is my life. So um, I just wanna, I'm, I'm gonna like try to make it in two minutes. So I was hanaied into a family, which means I was given to a family that um, a very wealthy um, man in Hawaii, I'm actually named after a hotel there. And all the way till I was 13 years old, I didn't really realize like the secrets that stuff that we did in the dark. Most families didn't do that, but I finally told somebody what was going on with me and they put me in foster care. And once I was in foster care, I was just prime for a trafficker. And so I met my trafficker, which I called a pimp because we didn't say trafficking back then. Um, and I was um, under his control, um, went out of state, and I was for five months under his control. Um, made it back to Hawaii and continued on my own for another three months. Finally said, I gotta, I gotta go back to school. I was only 16 at that time. And so I went back to school and just tried to be normal, but I was heavily addicted to cocaine and marijuana and alcohol and bad relationships and bad choices and this just cycled. I went back out when I was 18, I went back out when I was 32, until finally a friend of mine said, you're gonna die, somebody's gonna kill you, or you're gonna kill somebody. Because I was very angry, and I was like a little ticking time bomb. And um, then another friend said, come to church with me. And so I went to church with the happy people. <laughs> and I was like, how can they be so happy? Don't they know what happened to me? And that's not where it ended. Those happy people, they loved me, they wrapped their arms around me. I went through about 10 years of inner healing and just prayer and forgiveness and prayer and forgiveness and it, it took a while, you know. Um, and then about 10 years in, I met her and that word sex trafficking came up and I was like, what is that? And so I started doing the work with Jessica and um, you know, God redeemed me. It was really an identity crisis. Like, I didn't really know who I was, but then I knew who I was when I read the Bible and when I was going to Bible study and when people were praying for me and praying off of all those, all that sin, all that stuff, you know? And, okay, wait, <laughs> breathe. Anyway, today I get to work with girls that are either at risk or who have been trafficked. Um, it's not, it's not about my story. There's thousands of stories. I'm thou there's thousands of us out there. Um, we're sometimes victim to survivor, and today I get to thrive. My life is thriving. I can come back into this movement, and I can do things, and I can see things that people don't, maybe can't see, but I can see it, and I can pray it out, and I can put my hands to the plow, and I can do the work. So. We are here, I'm here one more day. Oh yeah, I did get married too. So <laughs> all glory to God for that restoration because I was never gonna get married to one of you male species. <laughs> but I have a great husband, he's amazing. He actually works um, with us at Ho'olanapua too. And so um, yeah, Ho'olanapua is here in the lobby. We have a pop-up shop and we'd like for you to come and help us and support us. So. That's it. Did I forget anything? No, I'm good. good. Okay. Thanks, Thank Jesse, for yeah. having us here. Hey. Um, so a couple things I would ask. Obviously, we do have some training tomorrow. I would love for you to sign up. 
She mentioned there's some swag out back. They don't want to take it back to Hawaii. So I just would encourage you, I, it is not too early to shop for Christmas. Yes, I mentioned Christmas in August. Uh, buy something, get something as a gift, uh, help support the cause. And then obviously we as a church have been talking with Jessica. We really want to continue to be strategic and more strategic in supporting them uh, and helping them. One of the things they mentioned with the building, for instance, it is a historical building. And one of those layers that they have to deal with is the historical side. They had to remove uh, the actual Spanish tile on the roof and clean it and wash it to, re- to reuse it. And so those things exacerbate costs. But at $435 a year, I mean, come on, right? Um, that, those are the kind of deals Jesus lays down. We want to support them financially. So, so I would ask you, hey, we, we would love for you to write them a check to help them out to continue to restore this building, get this thing up and running. And, of course, we want to continue to be with them in the long haul. They have a 30-year lease. I'd love for us to continue to pour into them for the next 30 years. Uh, and so let's pray for them. Uh, they'll be out front. You can ask questions. Um, and uh, find out whatever it is you need to know, how you can support them further and long-term. Many of you already do, and we're thankful for you. So let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for Tammy and Jessica, and I just pray, Lord, for more of this stuff to just come out into the light, that more girls would be saved, more girls would be healed, and through the gospel of Jesus Christ, more women like Tammy could come up here and not be identified from what has happened to them or their sin, but declare in the name of Jesus that they are thriving because of their relationship with you and the purity and the forgiveness and the grace and the mercy and the compassion you give in heaps and bounds beyond anything we could think or imagine. And I pray, Lord, that you guard and protect Jessica, Tammy, and all of their workers, Lord, that they can go into the battlefield, face the evil without being drained or beat up, but they would truly be protected and guarded and blessed by you. And we trust you for that, Lord. In Jesus' name, the church said, Amen. God bless you guys. Thank you. All right. Um, It's finally here. We are going to start the book of Galatians. So I know many of you have got the ESV journals. There's a few more left in the bookstore if you want to sneak out and grab them. Um, We are going to be in this book for just a little bit of time. I think it's timely that we are in it. Um, one for ourselves, uh, but also, you know, as they just shared, be, be truly knowing true freedom in Christ. So if you don't have a Bible this morning, raise your hand. One of these guys would love to give you one um, that you uh, can use to um, read along with us so you can actually see the scripture. And I'm excited about this series. I, uh, I'm looking forward to it. I'm, I feel blessed to be a part of it. I feel like it's timely. Uh, and applicable for me in my season of life and where I'm wrestling and going through things in, in my own life and my own family. And so as, as it kind of is, I'll just be honest with you, there's a part of pastoring where um, you, you are a witness to and you are growing with me. You are a witness to my growth uh, and you are growing with me and that a lot of this stuff is not, I am not preaching it uh, because I have obtained it because I completely understand it, but because I too am a child of God that is learning and growing. So, amen. If you're, uh, if you're looking for a perfect pastor, you've come to the wrong church. Um, so, hey, we have a tradition here uh, because we love God's word. We believe it is true, and we believe that it is holy. Would you please stand with me while we read these few verses together? Verse 1. Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Lord, would your 
word be living and active to us this morning. Get inside of the soul, Lord, with this sword. Dissect that which is not from you and place within us that which is from you. We trust you for this surgical work this morning, Lord. In Jesus' name, the church said, amen. Okay, so background. Um, I told Wayne this morning we, we meet on occasion on Sunday mornings with some of the elders, and we pray. We pray for our church. And I, I told Wayne this morning to kind of be flexible with me in that I had asked him to preach next week. I, I actually sit on a, um, a board that oversees 100 churches within Nevada, Utah, uh, Hawaii, um, and uh, Northern California. And so I'll be um, down in Sacramento this week praying through some things that we are going through and, and uh, things that we need to tackle uh, as a district. And, and so I'd asked Wayne to preach next week. And then I realized, as, I, as is typical, I know none of you are going to be surprised by this, that a lot of what my material here this morning would probably need to continue into next week, and it will. Uh, and so this is really just a broad introduction to the book of Galatians for us this morning. And then we'll go into next week uh, some of the authority of Paul and what Uh, a little bit more into the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Let me give you a background. You have this guy, his name's Paul. Uh, He was known as Saul. He was a Pharisee. He was a man that practiced uh, the the law of Jews, the Mosaic law, perfectly to a degree. He he states in another place that he really was uh, a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was the religious of all religious. I mean, this is the guy that you would expect uh, to be pastoring a church. This is the guy that you would expect to go into counsel for and have it all together. This is the guy that would dress the dress and talk the talk. He was polished and, and uh, he was zealous. He was passionate for the law of God. Paul was so passionate for the law of God that he believed that Christianity was an infringement upon the Jewish religion of Yahweh and he murdered, literally murdered and oversaw uh, the martyrdom of many Christians. He was a man who killed Christians for the for the and in the name of God himself. And then one day, Paul has this dramatic uh, introduction to Jesus himself. On the road to Damascus, Paul is riding along, a bright light shines, a voice as if from heaven, but really present in his face. It's Jesus asking Paul, why are you persecuting me? He's letting Paul know in that moment that he wasn't persecuting Christians, he was actually persecuting God himself. In that moment, Paul was made blind. In that moment, Paul found salvation. And in that moment, Paul changed his life for all eternity. Paul is literally one of the greatest authors in all of the New Testament because of this great transition or uh, renewal, being born again, if you will. And, uh, And so we have this book of Galatians. And what Paul did is he went from persecuting Christians. Imagine this journey. Much like what Tammy just shared with us, once in the industry and now out of the industry and fighting against the industry, Paul was in the same kind of boat. He was part of the religious zealots. He was part of the the Jewish tradition. He's freed from that tradition and he becomes literally a church planter. And he plants churches all over the place. He planted several churches in Galatia, this place that we are speaking of now, along with another gentleman by the name of Barnabas. This was in the, the Roman province, and, and so he's planted all of these churches. And what Paul would do is, is he would plant a church, he would establish it. We have writings like in Timothy and Titus where he would train leaders, train pastors, and equip them to shepherd and love the local church. And then Paul would move on and he would do it again. But Paul never lost his love for the churches in which he planted. And at times he would visit, at times he would send other leaders to go visit those churches, and he would correspond with them in letters. This is a particular letter that is written to a church, or churches rather, plural, that he has planted. And what happened is this. Here's the problem, right? The, the reality is, is that Paul planted the church, he stepped away, and then Paul began to hear of what was happening, the problem that exists within Galatia and the Galatian churches. There was a group of men called the Judaizers. They were Jewish practicing men who then would walk into, listen to the the, the sinister part of this, they would, they would walk into an established, already established church, a church that already existed, 
that was already thriving, that was already moaning and groaning and learning and studying and praying and taking part in communion. They're doing all of these things that we've been commanded to as a church. They're established by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And these men would come in while Paul has left and they would sneak in a new gospel, Paul says. A gospel that he says is actually not the gospel. It's a gospel that isn't from Christ. In fact, Romans tells us that any gospel that isn't the true gospel in which Paul preached is the gospel that actually leads to condemnation and damnation. And what these Judaizers did, they'd come in and they'd say, yeah, yeah, we believe in Jesus, but in order for you to be saved, you have to actually practice the Mosaic law. You have to eat according to the Jewish tradition. If you have not been circumcised, you have to be circumcised. You have to do these certain things to be a Christian. So these teachers come in, they sneak in, and they try to teach what is, Paul says, an anti-gospel. I remember I, um, some of my roots, I'm an old, uh, an old Calvary Chapel guy. So uh, when I first started really finding out about who Jesus was, uh, many of you know this church sent me out to go to a school. It was part of a Calvary Chapel. That's really where my first introduction was to you need to teach through the Bible and, and all of that. And so as part of the Calvary Chapel and that movement, a big thing was uh, to proclaim the gospel and the message and ha- you know, have individuals raise their hands and then approach the altar, give their lives to Jesus Christ, go into a room, say a prayer, and, and be confirmed in their faith kind of a thing. And I remember we dealt with this particular issue. This is a real story that, uh, that whenever that happened, there was a group of people uh, from another religion who would come up to the altar as people accepted Jesus Christ, and they would then introduce them to Mormonism. So we had Mormons actually showing up to our church as people were accepting Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and then saying, okay, okay, you've accepted Jesus, that's great, but now we need to add something to your faith. Let me introduce you to a name by the name of Joseph Smith. Let me introduce you to the Book of Mormon. One of the ways that we state this as Christians and according to the true gospel of Jesus Christ, the great theologian uh, who said this a while back and it's been repeated here and there, maybe you've heard it, it it's been buzzworthy here in the past, but Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Jesus plus anything else equals nothing. And that is our understanding of the gospel. This is what Paul is saying. He's saying, he's trying to tell the Galatians in this particular moment, you're being tricked. You're being bewitched. Here's kind of the idea of the message this morning. All of us are recovering Pharisees in need of rescue. It's easy to read the book. It's easy as Christians to say that that is a first century problem. Like nobody in the room, I doubt, I doubt anybody has come up to you as a 40-year-old male and had a pastor or a priest walk up to you and say, in order to follow Jesus, you must be circumcised. Imagine that conversation. What would you say? (laughs) Here's another question I want to ask you this morning, uh, which kind of sets us up for the rest of of where we're going. Uh, How religious and devoted to Jesus are you? How religious are you? And when I, say, when I say that we are all recovering Pharisees in need of rescue, the phrase is important. First of all, it's understanding that there's a little legalist in every single Christian. There's a Pharisee inside every Christian. This isn't just a first century problem. This is a current problem that exists within churches. Here, here's what happens, or what has happened at least to, to some degree in my faith, maybe your faith. Terry Heilig, who is one of our elders, I was actually, before the the first service, we were just having a conversation, and he was mentioning to me that when he first got saved, this is a man, Terry Hiley, for those of you who know, his dad was a pastor. He's been an elder. He grew up as a Christian, and he was telling me that he has probably responded to anywhere between 12 and 18 altar calls. And here's the deal. This 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 is why this is so important. For those of us who've heard the gospel of Jesus Christ for the first time, There might be even some of you this morning that for the very first time, you may hear the gospel of Jesus for the first time. As we say often to those who come who are visitors, that we pray for people who don't know Jesus to come into this building to hear of Jesus. That that in hopes you would come into the room and you wouldn't feel like, and I've heard people say this before, you know, when I come into the room, I feel like everybody has it all together. That people are better than I am. When we come into this room, we are declaring there is hypocrisy that exists within all of our hearts. And to one degree or another, we think 
we think that we have it right. Some of us think we have it, some of us don't. But some of us do, especially if you've been a Christian for a long time, you start to think in your mind that this is the way that religion or Christianity should be done. And I've been part of the church long enough to tell you, I've heard everything. I've heard everything from, why is the paint the, same, the color that it is? Why do you use the particular Bibles that you use? Why do you dress a certain way? Why is it that Brad Knoll does worship with sandals? Somebody explained to me, that is, that is disrespectful, that is dishonorable. I, I've had people ask, why, why, even, why do you have tattoos that show it all? I'm always refreshed when someone says, I came to the church because you had tattoos. But herein lies the problem. We can also begin to create our own Phariseeism even in that. Well, my pastor, he has tattoos. That's how you do it. You see how insidious it is? I mean, you laugh, but it's true. Because now we've come past that wave of, of, you know, when I grew up in the Calvary system, man, it was like, you were a cool pastor if you wore a Hawaiian shirt. That, That was the legit way. Now, now we've come across into a new, a new era we think it's right if, if the pastor is more apt to maybe smoke a cigar or have a pipe or have a drink. And now all of a sudden we say, this is, this is actually what it means to be a real free Christian. And I just want to say to you this morning that, that it has nothing to do with any of those things and that all of us can very easily think of ourselves higher than we should because of our actions on the exterior, the things we say and the things we do. Here's what I think is one of the major problems for all of us. Maybe this is just me. See, when I heard the gospel for the first time, I was 12 years old. My mom was a heavy drug user. My dad at that age had just shot his girlfriend in the face and was sent off to prison. My stepfather was a man who was hanging out with hell's angels. That is the home in which I grew up in. And one day my mom, she shows up and she shares with me that she has found Jesus. And everything changed. The whole house got reorganized. I had rock CDs thrown out. I had a Guns N' Roses t-shirt forcefully thrown from my room. I had posters ripped down off of the wall. My mom all of a sudden said, there's a demon in everything and we're getting rid of all the demons. Clean the house. But it was such a radical change. I saw Jesus moving her. And it, it, for me, it wasn't the fact that she tore the poster down or threw the CD out. It was the fact that God made her into a present, in the moment, mom. She was new, and I knew it. And so when she told me about Jesus, I had no other choice but to give my life to Jesus. One of the first things I read wasn't just the Bible. It was also an old comic book. I'm going to date myself a little bit, called The Cross and the Switchblade. Anyone remember that book? I remember it impacted me, and then, of course, you know, we, we, we grew as a family, and we wrestled, and we turmoiled, and we fought, and we went through things, but Jesus was always present, guarding, protecting, and being with us on a way that we hadn't had without him. And I remember in that moment, I felt the love of Jesus, and maybe when you've accepted Jesus Christ, when you, when you first did whatever it was that you thought you needed to do to give your life to the Lord, and you felt the love of God, You know, I've painted the example of of what happens typically when you get saved is Jesus comes down off of the throne of heaven. Because we know that's literally what happened. God became flesh and he dwelt amongst man. And as he came down, he, he pleaded on our behalf. He came to us, he intervened, just as he did Tyler not that long ago, right? Welcome to church, man. Welcome to the front row experience. And the Lord intervened and said, Tyler, I love you. I want to be with you. I want to heal you. I want to forgive you. And Tyler, Tyler, there's a good chance he felt that and he knew it on a level that was beyond anything that any human being could ever communicate to him. It was a Holy Spirit moment of rebirth and renewal. And you know what happens? Because there's a little Pharisee in all of us. We think the grace of God is in that moment of rebirth. And then in that relationship with Jesus, it's it's as if we felt like God said, I'm here for you. I'm intervening you. And then he did this. Hold on, Tyler. Now if you want that experience again, you've got to start working, bro. You better start getting into a Bible study. You better start giving to the church. 
You better pray for somebody. You better start evangelizing. You better get into your word, man, because the enemy's going to get you. And, and it's not that any of those things are bad, right? Paul says, says that the law is good. It's so good. But the law, what the law does is it reveals to us our imperfection. And that if the Bible says literally to be in this position that I've just placed Tyler in, to be in that position literally will cause Tyler to die. It will crush him. It will perplex him. And somewhere in our faith, you may be here this morning, you be, the grace of God was for me when I believed upon Christ and I gave my life to him because, because I know who he is, but, but now he's in heaven and, and he's telling me, you know, I'm here for you, but you've got to do a certain thing. You've got to do some stuff. And then what happens is you get into this relationship and man, you can't, you, you're not even cognitive of it. You cut a fat check to Hula Napua and you go, that feels good. And when you do that, you cut that fat check, man. You made a sacrifice. And all of a sudden, you feel as if Jesus went, whoa, Tyler, man, thanks for the fat check. That was really good. You know, if you keep doing that, you're going to keep feeling good. So what you've got to do is you've got to keep working, okay? All right, see you tomorrow. (laughs) Anybody, is this anybody's spiritual experience at all? Am I just me? Here's what we've forgotten. This is what Paul is saying. He's saying, listen, I established the church according to the gospel of Jesus Christ, that you are not saved by works. You are not saved by what you do. And you are not kept unto salvation by what you do. And this is what we've forgotten. This is what the church of Galatia had forgotten. Not only did Jesus step down for salvation, Jesus stepped down, died on the cross on behalf of our sins, He took Tyler's sin and placed it upon himself, what we call in theology, he imputed it to Christ. That he would carry it, that he would bear it, that he would take the punishment of all of the sins that Tyler has ever committed, past, present, future. He's not sinning right now. He is dialed in right now, right? (laughs) And then Jesus, and then Jesus imputed, he placed upon, upon Tyler his righteousness. And then he said to Tyler, you know what, I'm, I may physically be sitting at the right hand of the Father of God, but as a gift, I give you my spirit within you. You see, there is no having to work to the throne of God because God has made our hearts his throne. And he lives within us. And so now as Christians, the liberating fact is that we do not have to earn our relationship with Jesus Christ because Jesus earned our salvation for us. You know, this book is so important. Several theologians have said that really, because of this book, it's what's caused the Reformation. So, um, over the years, I think Wayne probably said it before I did, uh, but I think several of you have said it for yourselves. We've had several people in the church say, you know, when I talk about their faith and ask how they're doing, they'll say, you know, how are you doing? How's your faith? And they'll say, I'm a recovering Catholic. <laughs> and um, I've had some pushback on that a little bit. I've had some people say, you know, who've come from Catholicism to Protestant Christianity, you know, that's been a hard statement for them uh, to embrace. And, and so I, I explained and, and am explaining that, that we're all recovering Catholics, <laughs> You know, we, we, we establish within our minds that we have to do things a certain way. And so Martin Luther, if you remember the story of Martin Luther, Martin Luther was like, just like Paul. Luther was a Catholic of all Catholics. He was the priest of all priests. Nobody studied, studied like Luther did. Nobody prayed like Luther did. And Luther found himself, those of you who know, he was just exacerbated by the heaviness of trying to earn God's love and trying to, to understand how, how somehow God had this grace, but then the church was teaching really in all kinds of different ways that, that you needed to add something to your faith in order to find God's favor and love. When my dad passed away, the, my, my father who raised me, my stepfather, uh, about six years ago, he passed away in a race car accident in Fernley. And we literally had someone in our family from another... Uh, another part of our family who knew or knows that we are religious. And we received as a gift an actual piece of paper 
that someone purchased from the Catholic Church that by purchasing said piece of paper would, would uh, shorten the duration in which my father would be in purgatory. To which I said, that's interesting. <laughs> it's one of those moments you have to pick your words wisely. Um, and so Luther saw within Catholicism that that was a problem. And Paul is saying, because Paul is writing to us as well, and he's saying this is a problem. It's not just a first century problem, it's for all of us. And so Luther saw, and many people don't understand this, it wasn't like Luther set out to destroy the Catholic Church. Luther saw there was things within the Catholic Church that were admirable, that Jesus existed in there, but there was all kinds of doctrines and theologies and issues within it. And so he set up his thesis to say, listen, we need to reform, we need to change this. And the response, obviously, was very radical against him. And the reason that Luther became alive and began to preach this gospel of grace that exists in Galatians was through his study of Galatians. Still one of the best commentaries you can read on Galatians is Luther's commentary on Galatians. Luther said of Galatians, I think it's kind of funny, maybe you will too. He said this about the Galatians. The the epistle to the Galatians is my epistle. To it, he said... I am, as it were, in wedlock to Galatians. He called Galatians, he literally called it his Catherine, which was the name of his wife. Now, I don't know what my wife would say if I said, you know, Galatians is my alley. I think she would rejoice. But he, he said, man, I'm in love with this book. And it was, it was, it was out of his careful submission uh, of study of Scripture of Galatians that Luther discovered God's plan of salvation by grace working through faith. One of the things that came out of the Reformation was the solas. Do you remember them? I think, I think in particular the five solas of the faith, uh, the order in which they exist are super important. The first statement within the soul is that we are saved by grace alone. Paul actually alludes to it just in the first few verses. He says, grace and peace to you. Notice he says it's the statement of grace. It's the factuality of grace that God on behalf of the sinner has redeemed the sinner unto himself, not because of anything the sinner has done, but because of everything that Jesus has done. And because Jesus has given us grace, that is where our peace comes from. We don't have to fight for peace or earn peace. It comes through faith upon Jesus alone. Grace alone, through Jesus alone, faith alone, Scripture alone, for his glory alone. And we recognize that we get this grace from Jesus Christ because of faith. Take a look at Galatians chapter 2. Just turn there briefly. I think this is kind of a core of what this book is trying to accomplish for us. Galatians chapter 2, verse 16. And again, I think everything in Scripture, everything in Scripture is there by the infallible, inspired Word of God to us in a particular order for us to see. Notice the order in which he speaks and the importance of the verse. Galatians 2.16, yet we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ, not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Now we enter into this big word, justification, or being justified. Paul literally is telling us, as a church, he's telling the Galatians that a person is not found rightly stood before God unless they have been justified by faith and not works. Justification is important. I think there's two important parts of justification. Those of us who use things to help us memorize certain things, you'll know to be justified is to understand is just as if I had never sinned. Right? I'm justified. Justified, never sinned. And there's a big focus on that, right? You've been forgiven, right? You, 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 no matter what you've done, what you've thought, what you've said, God has justified you. But the other part that we, we forget is it's not just that we've been justified from our sins, 
But God also now sees us justified as if, just as if, not just as if I had not sinned, but also just as if I had always done the right thing. Right? One of the things when we think of the placing of Jesus as Christ's life given to us that we cannot overlook are the 33 years of perfection. And someone asked the question, well, well, why is it that Jesus waited 33 years before he died? Why didn't he do it at 16? Why not 17? Now, I don't have a perfect answer for that, but I think 33 is just perfect amount to go, you know what? There's no way he got there without him being God himself. Because if you can make it 33 years without sinning, whew, you have to be God. And in addition to that, I think that is sufficient for us to learn the lesson of that, that Jesus, Jesus, he blankets us. We're hidden. And not only is the spirit in us, but we are unified with Christ. So as that oneness, not only does God see us as if we'd never sinned, he sees us as if we've always done the right thing. My friends, that has to be liberating. Because now you can finally come forth because of the gospel and the grace of Jesus, you can come forth, confess your sin, admit your weakness, and never be defined by it. Now I'm preaching to myself right now. That Satan can't hold accusation against me. Because, because to do that is to actually spit back in the face of Christ as if his work wasn't, wasn't sufficient to hide me within himself. I mean, it's got to be good news for you to understand that, you know what, you can finally, you can finally in freedom admit, admit to your wrongdoings because, because you are not identified by those wrongdoings. You know how Paul says it? He says, man, I, I, this is Paul who was a religious zealot who God saves. He says, I do not know why I do the things I shouldn't do and I don't know why I don't do the things I know I should do, wretched sinner that I am, who will free me from this bondage, but then he recognizes that it is no longer the sin that is, that he is no longer the sinner, but it is the sin that is within him that's still alive and active. You see, when you walk into the room, when you walk into what I hope would be true Christianity, you don't walk into a room filled with people who think they're doing it better than you, who think they are doing Christianity right, you're walking into a room of people who recognize they are no longer identified by their exterior image or their exterior performance, but they are identified by the interior Christ that has redeemed them and made them pure. I mean, I get, I'll tell you what, I just get bananas crazy over the way we as Christians isolate newcomers and visitors because we think we're doing it right. Can we, can we just be honest? Can we confess? We're doing it the best we can. I was dealing with a situation in the last several weeks and someone said, are you going to be able to do it this way and can you accomplish these goals and, and wanted you know, some particular promises that, that I wasn't totally sure that I could totally fulfill and I just said, you know, I, I'm going to try my best to do the best I can. There's only really one thing I can promise though. And that's that I'm not going to do this perfectly. And I'm going to make some mistakes. And to be able to come forth and be willing because we know, we know that Jesus has completely purified us of our actions. Keller says, says this, he says that, that this book is like, Galatians is like a bomb. He's going to read it and it's just going to blow you to pieces. It's going to renew your mind and in your heart. You know, after Luther, to share with you the importance of uh, just what this book has meant for church history, after Luther wrote his, his uh, commentary on Galatians, there was another man, maybe you've heard of them, John and Charles Wesley. John and Charles Wesley discovered the gospel, and, and they came across uh, Luther's writings on Galatians. And John Wesley, he said... Um, he said this, he said, after reading it with a group of men, there came such a power over me, I can't describe. My burden fell off in an instant. My heart was so filled with peace and love that I burst into tears. I almost thought I saw my Savior. My companions, perceiving me so affected, fell on their knees and prayed. And when afterwards I went into the street, I could scarcely feel the ground I trod upon. 
You imagine that feeling of just knowing, man, that you are completely favored by God himself? Could you imagine the freedom of serving God, giving unto God, raising your children without feeling guilt or condemnation for not doing it well? Can I just speak to the parents in the room and say that God has graced you in your parenthood? That God is bigger than the mistakes that you have already committed against your children? That God is greater than the chaos at dinner time? That God is better than you could ever think or imagine as you're trying to awaken your teenage children in the morning on a Saturday to go do something productive? Or maybe that was this morning. That God is, is going to work all of those things in his graciousness? I have to laugh sometimes because, because you know, my family, my family came to Sierra Bible Church all those years ago, and we were broken, man. I remember Wayne coming over to our house to, to pray over our home because we felt there was demonic oppression in our home. Like a literal physical sense that something spiritual was in our home that we were awakened to when the battle occurred. Because this is what happens when you're not a Christian. When you're not a Christian, you are not aware that the issues you are dealing with are spiritual whatsoever. And then when you find the gospel of Jesus Christ, you become awakened to the spiritual world and you start to recognize and realize that there's a very spiritual world that exists behind the scenes that is affecting you and impacting you. And so here we were as a family coming to church every single week, praying for demons to leave our house. And then we had these other families who kids were homeschooled and they were part of Bible studies and they were part of community groups. And, and I was the kid that was constantly like, watch out for the Richardson boy. Keep your eyes on that kid. Where's Jesse? I remember running off on a youth event. I just disappeared with my girlfriend into some place out on the beach where nobody could find us. Al Salas was one of those guys hunting me down. What are you doing? You can't do that. What do you mean I can't do it? Uh. Young teenage boy. And then all these years later, all these years later, that everything would come full circle. And in that brokenness, that in spite of the lack of, of maybe the great parenting, in spite of understanding what my parents really needed to do to help me become a true Christian, a true child of God, in spite, in spite of, in spite of, because of his grace, because we can't earn it, in spite of all of that, Jesus decided to, to place me in front of you as your lead guy here this morning. And it isn't because of anything I've done, I'll tell you that. It's not because I studied well. It's not because I've lived perfectly. It's not because I am living perfectly. It is not because there is not things with inside of me. It's, it's purely, again, by the sheer enormous, uh, radical, extravagant, name whatever big word you want, grace of God. Can you be comforted, grandparents, this morning that Jesus, through his grace, is bigger than you to bring your kids to salvation? Those of you who are praying for some of your teenage kids that are rebellious or your college kids or maybe it's your mom, maybe it's your dad and you're, you're wondering, how is it that God's going to bring them to salvation? You know how he's going to do it? He's going to do it through his grace. He's not going to do it because you had the right words and you were witty on that particular day. He's not going to do it because you fasted and prayed on that particular day and that's what happens. No, he's, he's going to do it because he's, he's faithful and he's good and he's great. I don't know about you this morning, but I'm thankful that God works in spite of me. I'm oftentimes reminded that it isn't the, the times that I do everything right where God brings the miracle. It's actually in the times where I happen to be caught in the midst of my own filth and turmoil where God says, it's going to be my loving kindness that leads you to repentance, not the law of God. You know what the law of God does? As it is, as it is good and purposeful, it reminds you, you are a sinner in need of the love of Jesus Christ this morning. All of us come to this room as beggars in desperate need of a Savior who would save us. All of us have a Pharisee living in us that needs rescuing. You know what you do when someone's drowning in the water? You don't look at them and say, you know what? Let me give you a quick lesson <laughs> on the quick little overhead deal here. <laughs> oh, hold on, that's not working. There's, a, there's an easier one. It's the dog paddle. Just wave your hands like this. You don't yell at him and go, what are you doing, dummy? Why'd you go in the water? What is wrong with you? You don't scream at a bunch of people and say, look at this idiot. He jumped in the water. He doesn't know how to swim. You don't instruct. You don't teach. What do you do? 
You go into the water. Or you throw, you throw them a, a life preserver and you drag them in. You know what the gospel is? You were drowning. And Jesus entered into the water. You were drowning in your sin and you were drowning in your shame and you were drowning in your guilt. And Jesus entered into that. And he drowned on your behalf. And he drank in your sin. And he drank in your shame. And he drank in your guilt to the depths of death. And as he died, he lifted you upon the fruitful land of salvation and said, live and be free, my son. That's the gospel. So we close this morning. I want to give you some next steps. Can you go back one slide? Sorry. A couple things I want us to do this morning. Things I want you to do when you leave here. Things I want you to do during the week. Things that I would hope that you would do even as we close in worship. Number one, would you take time to acknowledge and confess the ways that you have tried to earn God's love or favor in your life? Admit the areas of your life where you've been a Pharisee, where you've been a legalist. I've learned this week, maybe I haven't learned it as much as been re-reminded in a heavy way, that when we confess sin, that it removes the power of that sin in our lives. Confess the ways in which you've been a legalist. And then number two, it's not enough just to confess it. You've got to fill your heart with the right thing. Practice defining what the gospel is. And I've given you two definitions from two modern-day theologians that I admire and respect. One is Keller, who, even though there's not a pope in Protestant Christianity, he'd kind of be considered the pope of Protestant Christianity. Um, but I wanted to give you something short you could walk away with. Kevin DeYoung says, the gospel is that a holy God sends his righteous son to die for unrighteous sinners so we can be holy and live happy with God forever. Keller says, the gospel is we're more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet at the same time, we're more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. I can't remember what theologian said it, so Brad Beers told me, one of our elders, whenever you don't know who quoted it, you just say C.S. Lewis said it, and everyone will agree with it. <laughs> um, he, said, <laughs> he said, the gospel's like an ocean. It's shallow enough where a child can play at its shores and can build a sandcastle within its safety. The gospel is simple enough. And when I give you these definitions, I... I just want you to understand the gospel is so simple that any, any infant, any person can enjoy the beauty of it. But then he said, as an ocean, not only is it shallow and fun to play in, but it's so deep and has so much depth that you'll never get to the bottom. There's always more to explore. And what I mean by that, and what I think C.S. Lewis meant by that, is that it, it is good for us to understand the simplicity of the gospel. But as a church, we should never be content without driving deeper into the gospel. And, and once the gospel becomes boring to you, you then have to do what every generation needs to do, as Luther did, rediscover the gospel. I'm telling you, I, I've been doing ministry since I was 21, and the only thing that's kept me going is the grace message of Jesus Christ. And as we continue to teach and preach the gospel of God, the Bible of God, we will continue to be faithful to reminding you that you cannot earn your salvation. And you can, never, you can never presume people know the gospel. And I'm telling you, as somebody who's working now with 100 churches, that some of the churches in our generation that are struggling, it's been because some, not all, but some of the older generation has assumed their people know the gospel. And so what they've gotten isn't the gospel on a Sunday, They've gotten good teachings and precepts, steps on this and steps on that, what you must do, and here's how to do it, practical stuff that we just love to eat up. You need to be told more about what Jesus has done, far more about what Jesus has done than what must you do. Your response is to believe in faith. Can we say amen, church? Let's pray. Lord, as we leave this place, we... Um, we confess to you
that we are sinners. We come before you and we admit that we are not sufficient. We confess, Lord, certain ways in which we have been legalists, that Christianity must be done a particular way. We confess that at times we have accomplished our own laws and traditions and we have been inflated with ego and pride because we've accomplished them. We admit that that pride, Lord, has been something that is a wedge between our relationship with you. And as we confess, Lord, we then pray that you would, in your grace, remind us that we are not just sinners. We are, we are saints, Lord. That the identity in which we should possess is not just that as a sinner, but that we are, we are now saints that sin, but we are not defined by our actions. Fill us with that grace. Fill us with that identity that we can live in freedom for your glory. We trust you for that work, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.